0: Hey, Walk Stars. We're joined today by Light Walkins. I feel really lucky to have him here. He's an absolute gem of a meditation teacher. He has a lot of wisdom about living simply and listening to our spiritual voices. Light and I have an interesting story of how we met, and I look forward to having you hear his story. I Nil Audio. I'm Alex L. I'm Libby Delena. Welcome to This Morning Walk Podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hello, walk stars. We are joined today by the magical Light Watkins. I feel so lucky that you said yes to join this conversation. <laughs>
1: I can't resist a good conversation so <laughs> it's good to be here.
0: Uh, before we get into your story I think you and I have sort of a funny way that we met. We met over a cup of chai.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah probably like six years ago or something like that.
0: I was trying to figure out how long ago it was. I'm terrible at keeping track of time so it could be. Could Where was it that-
1: again at Ju- at Justa? Justa. Yeah, uh, I used to live in that place. And so I, I was in LA until 2018, just living right down the street from Justa. And I would go there pretty much like every couple of days.
0: I used to go, I was there for quite a chunk of time doing some editing. And I probably went every morning and ordered two smoking hot chais, even have the mug still with me. <laughs> and um, yeah, so uh, I was having a cup of chai the other morning. I was like, I'm going to reach out to Light, see mm-hmm. if he's available. Yeah. Thank you. That's how
1: these things tend to happen, you know?
0: It is. I know. So, like, give us an understanding of how you came to be a a practitioner of meditation, an author. Where did you grow up? Mm -hmm. How did you get to this spot?
1: Great question. So I grew up in Alabama. And as you, I don't know if you've been to Alabama, but if not, you can probably imagine There are more snowstorms than meditators in Alabama. At least there were in the <laughs> 1970s <laughs> when I was a child. And, um, you know, pretty much all my developmental years happened down in the South. And it's interesting because I remember in high school, I was taking uh, AP English and was struggling because, you know, they had us reading books like the Canterbury Tales and you know, I I couldn't get into that old English nonsense. I still don't understand why we had to read. Even at at (laughs) my current age, I'm 50 years old. I'm like, why do we have to do that again? Uh, Because they, you know, the way they spin it is, oh yeah, you're going to, this is going to come in handy one day. I, I don't know. But in any case, I barely passed that class. And so I never would have imagined back then that, Many, many years later, I'd be writing books myself. Mm-hmm. I would write my own Canterbury Tales or mm-hmm. whatever the book was. Because <laughs> I wasn't like an avid reader or anything like that. I was more into art and design. Uh, I, I never won any any academic awards, but I did consistently win um, this one award in my in my early schooling, which was perfect attendance. I never missed school. You know, I hear stories about some people, they... They had to be dragged to school, kicking and screaming and coming up with excuses. I, had lo- I would wake up earlier than everyone else in my house. And I had three brothers and two parents. I would be the one that was up, dressed, ready to go. I remember one time, this is how much of a nerd I was. One time I showed up to school, fully dressed, ready to go early. I was the only one there. Apparently it was a holiday. And I didn't realize that, that was right. it was a holiday that day. So that's how excited i was to go to school but i wasn't going to school necessarily cuz i loved the classes i loved the social aspect of it i loved the people watching sure. i loved seeing even like there were fights at my school cuz i went to a public school and it was in the hood and you know so there it was nothing for a fight to break out that day and uh and i just lo- i was just i was just fascinated by all the different dynamics between you know, the athletes and the weird kids and the artists and the musicians and the teachers and the this and that. And I grew up in sort of the Ferris Bueller era. So I, I tried to like emulate that and I understood that, okay, life is really about who, you know, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. it's about finessing and charming your way into things. And, um, so that's kind of, that was sort of my modus operandi for a long time, for many years, even as, as I was going through college and graduating and eventually getting to a point where I was living in New York City working as a model, not feeling particularly passionate about that kind of work, but loving, loving just the dynamics of it, because I'd never seen anything like that where it's inverted. Now the women have all the power and the men are just. You know, scrambling, trying to get a little job here and there, and but you have all this free time. But everybody really wants to work more than they're actually able to work. Mm-hmm. That's one of the few industries where people aren't working right. nearly as much as they want to work. Um, right. So you loved when you got a job. You loved when you worked worked on the weekends. And but I had all this free time. And, and during that downtime, I was, I, I got exposed to spiritual texts. So Conversations with God was one of my gateway books. And I found that fascinating because I got answers to questions that I had even when I was living in Alabama, which is the Bible Belt of America. So all the answers for any kind of esoteric questions were related to what Jesus or Moses or somebody like that said, which never really made a lot of sense to me. And now I started getting spiritual answers about the universe, God, and those kinds of, of terms started to, you know, karma and spiritual contracts. And I I found it fascinating. I I felt that it resonated deeply and I just wanted more and more. And eventually I transitioned from a model who dabbles in spirituality to a spiritual Mm -hmm. seeker who happened to model on the side. And eventually I had to graduate Mm -hmm. myself from the modeling thing. And that's where I moved to Los Angeles, where where's where which I consider to be the Mecca for spiritual practices. And and uh, and that's where I met my uh, the person who became my spiritual teacher. And that started my full-time exploration of this. So that led to the meditation training and teaching and all the books and everything else.
0: Oh, that's terrific. Well, I would love it if you would start out by telling us who you are, what are you mm-hmm. walking through?
1: What am I walking through? I love it. Um, <clears throat> okay. Walk stars. Um, so yeah, no, I I have been in the wellness space for, for many years going on uh, two and a half decades now. So back when I met you, here's where I was in my life. I was, I had been teaching meditation full time for many years, probably like a dozen years or so. Uh, pretty much out of my place in Venice, and I had given some talks, and I had been facilitating some retreats around the world, and I was percolating. I had this idea of becoming nomadic percolating right. inside of me. You
0: were just about to kick that off.
1: Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And um, probably around that time, I had gone to the Santa Monica Promenade to the luggage store with a bunch of clothes to find a 22 inch carry-on bag that would be able to accommodate me as my new apartment. (laughs) Cause I was going to sell everything, get rid of everything that didn't fit into that carry-on bag. So I, I found one. It was a Ramoa. No, this is not a sponsored (laughs) ad or anything, but I just wanted something really nice. I wanted like the nicest 22 inch carry-on bag that I could find. And obviously you know, when you get those higher end bags, you get like a lifetime guarantee. So I figured this—that's actually cheaper than the cheap bags that you have to keep replacing right. over, and over and over. And then I just got to the business of of curating a, a capsule wardrobe that would fit into that bag. And then on May thirty first, twenty eighteen, I rolled out of my two bedroom flat in Venice into my new carry on. Apartment, <laughs> and I started traveling around to different places every week or so, and and fortunately, I had a book that just came out called Bliss More. It was my how to right. meditation book, which was two books ago or three books ago, and uh, and so I had a bunch of of appearances at this festival called Wanderlust, yep. and so it was very fortuitous type of synchronistic situation because they paid for me to travel to a bunch of places there were there were like 15 or so dates all around the world and i used that to sort of kick off this new lifestyle and and then cut to 4 years later i 5 years later i um i ended up publishing a book called travel light
0: travel light yeah
1: which which documented that time of my life and and told it through the lens of what i call spiritual minimalism yeah. which is although i was living a very minimalistic life externally i i equated that with as a symptom of an internal cleansing or clearing or purging of the fears that have a tendency to hold us back from doing things like that. And, and I know everybody's not interested in living from a a carry on bag or a backpack or whatever, but you have your version of that and it could be, you know, changing the way you relate to your life or your job or, you know, doing something, something that kind of puts you out there a bit, something that you can't turn back too easily. And, um, and so, yeah, so that was a really fun experience. And now I'm kind of seeing where I am right now and what I want to do next and just just staying in that state of always questioning, always challenging belief systems, always refining um, how I'm relating to the world. But a part of the travel light thing in, in my book, I talk about... Flaneuring, which I'm sure you and your audience are very familiar with. That was a new term for me. I was walking um, I was walking 10,000 steps a day for many years during the travel light era. and I, I was down in Mexico City at, at the time of this story that I'm about to tell you. and I connected with uh, just a friend who I used to see at my co-working space and she offered to show me around. And I found out she was like an urban planning. She worked in urban planning in some capacity. And as we were walking around, she asked me if I knew anything about Flaneuring. And of course, I said, yeah. no, I, I don't know anything about it. And she she broke it all down to me and and uh, and I did deeper research and I ended up adding that to the book. And, uh, and Flaneuring is just the art of aimless walking for those people yeah. who have no idea what we're talking about.
0: Yeah, it's uh, walking without a destination.
1: Yeah. And right. typically by yourself.
0: By yourself. Typically
1: okay. without like listening to music and stuff. You're just in, you're immersed, right. fully immersed in the environment.
0: Yeah. One might uh, equate it with walking meditation of some Correct. sort. Yeah. 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 I think the thing that's so powerful about your book, um, uh, Your Travel Light, is this notion of emotional clutter. Mm-hmm. Right? You talked a lot about, you know, getting your physical items and things down to a very, um, small capsule of what's required. And what seemed, um, really sort of breathtaking to me was the notion of sure, we can get rid of those physical items, but the real place of peace, uh, and, uh, comfort and groundedness perhaps is actually in being able to somehow minimize the load of the emotional clutter.
1: Right. Yeah. And, and I, I offer um, a practice for accelerating that process, which is, uh, it's, it's a meditation practice, which is something that I've been very passionate about and teaching for a very long time but it's, it's even like a minimalist approach to meditation because I find that a lot of people clutter their meditation practice with all this stuff. I got to let go right. of this. I got to focus on the breath. I got to envision right. the white light. I got to imagine that I'm doing this. I'm floating <laughs> through the universe and it's just so much stuff. And then they end up getting to the end of it, exhausted. Exhausted. <laughs> because <laughs> they're doing so much. And instead, I'm just reminding people, hey, meditation is really about the practice of being. So being means the cessation of doing. So instead of trying to do all these things, practice doing less, doing least, and then ultimately doing nothing, and just see how you how you like that. And, and my prediction is that you'll find you'll find that a lot more in, enjoyable of an experience than the the one where you're trying to do all these things.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. It's not unlike uh, the way Thich Nhat Han would talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, walking meditation and the, the real, um, attentiveness to actually the privilege of putting your feet on the ground and the energy that you bring to that placement of your foot on the ground. is really beautiful. Hey, walk stars. We'll be right back. Welcome back to this morning walk podcast. What has meditation taught you about being where your feet are over the last 20 years?
1: Just seeing that as more of a metaphor. Yes. Just being in the moment, being where you are. In yeah. other words, not being too focused on the outcome, mm-hmm. being more so engaged in the process. And I know it's, it's easier said than done. You know, we hear these kind of these axioms these Zen sayings you know be more in the process and the outcome and it's it's very challenging to do even for people like me who I have been meditating for three decades now and yet I'm still you know in some parts of my life I'm focused on the outcome but I'm a lot less focused on the outcome today than I was 15 years ago <laughs> so you know you have to understand that that's a process it's a process. There's no graduation date from it. And it's one thing to understand that intellectually, right? And this is the big difference in someone who's who meditates and who doesn't meditate on a regular basis, is that obviously anyone can read a spiritual book. You can identify truisms where you see them because they usually resonate deep deep within you. But if you haven't actually practiced it, it's going to be hard to embody it, meaning the embodiment of those truisms overrides your your ego, Intellect, which tells you, yeah. hey, I, I know everything is connected, but you don't have time to do this today. That's we, we'll do the everything is, is connected thing on the weekend during the week. I need you to focus <laughs> on making this money so that you can right. be, you know, promoted or whatever the, the thing is you're focused on. And it sounds reasonable when you hear your ego say it like that, because your ego knows your blind spots, knows your weaknesses, knows your excuses, knows how to play all of that. Your ego is playing you like a violin, basically.
0: Oh, right.
1: right? (laughs) And or like a a three card Monty game. (laughs) And your spirit is in there trying to like whisper to you. They call it the still small voice. You can barely yeah. hear it. That's why you have to get still and quiet and all that in order to even just get a little tiny blip of what your, your spirit is saying. And all meditation does is it turns up the volume on that spirit voice and the heart voice mm-hmm. so That's that it can at least compete with the ego voice. And now now you don't have to second guess yourself as much because that spiritual voice is a lot louder and, and a lot clearer. And it's not like you're trying to, un- you know, I'm down here in Mexico. When I first got here three years ago, people would speak Spanish and I couldn't understand anything. It just all sounded like a bunch of mumble jumbo. I still am not fluent in Spanish, but the language has slowed down a lot for me. So now I can kind of pick up key words and understand, okay, we're talking about food right now, or we're talking about directions, or we're talking about you know, how am I feeling today? And this kind of thing. So I'm more confident and comfortable sitting in that, in the, in the not knowingness of the full extent of the conversation. But I, I kind of have the direction of it. And that's kind of what it is when that volume on the heart voice gets turned up, you become more confident. Okay. We're talking about where I'm going in life right now. And it's saying, go and go to the left. I don't know exactly which part of the left, but definitely not to the right. So I don't have to worry about if I should go to the left or right. I know I'm going to the left. I just don't know exactly which part of the left or for how long I am gonna have to go on the left. And so you'll figure all that, all that stuff out as you start moving in that direction. But there's no more of this analysis paralysis of what is my heart telling me to do because you put in the work to turn up the volume.
0: Yeah, oh, I love that. Uh, the way I would relate that to my practice of walking every day for 12 years is that um Um, what I am able to hear is this voice that says, just take the next best step to your point. We're going to turn left, but just take the next best step. You don't have to get all the way there. Mm -hmm. We don't even know where we're going. Just take that next step and we're in this together and we're going to get there. Here's a question for you. This is the way, um, and I think we're talking about the same thing here. So this practice of walking every day for me as I said, I've been doing it every day, haven't missed a day for 12 years. And what I feel like in this 12th year is that it's very much like playing, well, I've never played a video game, so I don't know what I'm talking about, but this is, I understand this to be the case, but the more you play these video games, the more you're given access or keys to different parts of these games or cheat codes, or I don't even know what the language is, but I am only offered this learning and these lessons because I have been doing it for this period of time. I never would have received these lessons at year six. I wouldn't have received them at year one, or I wouldn't have recognized them. And I think that's what I hear you saying, which is the ability over the course of having a practice that you love. I love this practice. I can't imagine my life without it. It's like a true love of mine. And it is in the my affection for it and my fidelity to this practice that I know that each each day is I will be offered these um, insights, this wisdom, these learnings. And that's to your point because I am able to hear this spirit voice more more clearly than I would have at the beginning of this practice.
1: Yeah, and, and, and what I, you know. You have a found, you have a very strong foundational practice, and I get people asking me all the time um, about this practice or about that practice, and I tell people to try whatever resonates with you because something may or may not resonate with me, but it doesn't mean that it's not valuable just because it doesn't resonate with me. It could absolutely resonate mm-hmm. with you. And I recommend people do things that are, you know, a little more moderate in their in their day day to day application. So mm-hmm. something that you theoretically can do every day. For 12 years, right? As opposed to say like an ayahuasca retreat, like ayahuasca is fine. I've never personally been d- drawn to plant medicine, but I know that it's not something that you can do as a practice on a regular basis. You have to be in a special place with special things, with special types of people and all the things. And And so it's easy to sort of, you know, put yourself in a position where you're you're postponing your day-to-day inner work, waiting for the next ceremony to begin. And that's what I love about walking. That's what I love about seated eyes closed meditation. Like it's all just like stuff that we can do really anywhere. Even if you're traveling, even if you're, if you're um, having to fly that day and you go to one of those airports that has a, you know, a people mover, um, you can, there's usually a way to walk to the terminal. And so you have to budget all that in too. The experience and show up a little bit earlier so that you can get your walking in or if you're running errands that day you've a really busy day running errands you park you' you park at the back of the parking lot every time you go somewhere so you're still driving but you're also getting in the, the other thing and so it really just shifts your entire um, perspective on why you do the things you do and that's and that's the, the that's the the uh, the payoff to these kinds of practices is that it's not really about the walking. It's not really about the meditation. It's not really about the, you know, chanting. It's really about how you can show up as a result of all of those things and, and, and showing up in a way that allows you to kind of have a more holistic viewpoint of every moment in your life, right? Even running the errands, even going to the airport, even the in-between moments and i think there's a lot of beauty in that because then it starts just to extend into all of these other areas of life that maybe you never even consider to be a meditative or an extension of your meditation practice so such as you sitting down to eat instead of wolfing down your food you're like okay this is an extension of it as well and then having a conversation with customer service okay this is an opportunity as well for me to connect to the moment yeah. right and so that's what's beautiful about it, and that's why it's very much a, a lifestyle and not just a thing that you do.
0: Right. Making a cup of tea, cup of chai, becomes a meditative moment. <laughs> yeah.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Washing your yeah. clothes, folding, Washing sweeping, everything. Clothes.
0: Yeah. Well, here's a question for you. How has um, walking or your seated practice opened your heart to new things? I mean, you've done, you know, you look at all the... Amazing things that you've done from um yeah, certainly your your meditation practice, The Shine, which was um really on the forefront of a sober gathering space, which incredible. You have your podcast, you um certainly have a, a really powerful voice in this meditation state. So how is your practice, whether it's walking or seated, how is how is that informed? inspired um energized all these projects
1: so the way i like to think about it is to look at look at the outcome right which is to do these various projects and i would say each one of them at least initially made me light up inside like the pro the The idea of having conversations with amazing people who've done amazing things, who are on their purpose, the idea of creating an event that brings people together um, around a natural high, the -hmm. idea of hosting retreats and workshops around the world or giving keynotes. That's all really cool, right? So then you ask yourself, and this is literally how I process almost everything in my life, but then I ask myself, okay, what what's stopping me from doing this cuz i would argue that we all have ideas about things that we think would make the world a better place or things that would light us up inside or and we've had these ideas since we were children and as as a kid you know i don't know about you libby but i was down in alabama growing up playing on we had a tree in our backyard we had crates. We had a tree. We had like a couple wood wooden planks. So if you have crates, a climbable tree, and some wooden planks, you can pretty much create any kind of
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> obstacle yeah. course. You know, right. there was a video yeah. game called Pitfall that we used to play a lot. So we would set up a Pitfall <laughs> obstacle course in the backyard. There was I grew up in the Evil Knievel days, so we would stack those crates and put the plank against the crate and get on our BMX bikes and. And, and, you know, jump ramps and do all this crazy, really dangerous stuff with no protective gear <laughs> at all. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we climbed a tree and, and can pretend like we were Indiana Jones. And so, you know, your imagination just kind of runs wild mm-hmm. and you, and that's, that's just inherent in children. Like our friends who we played with, they would come up with ideas just as much as we would. But then as you get older, you lose a lot of that. And I don't think it's, you lose it because um, you you stop having those ideas. I think life just kind of indoctrinates you to believe that that's silly and it's not important, and there's more important things to, to tend to. And to some extent, that's right. It's true. You know you have to you have to fend for yourself. You have to feed feed yourself. You have to house yourself, and that costs money. And so you have to be very attentive to how you're going to bring in some sort of source of income. But the danger of that is you end up you end up shutting off that part of your brain that that gives you permission to imagine and to create. And I think that one of the biggest obstacles to creating in that way and imagining the possibilities is our fear of other people's opinions. What are people gonna think about me? You know, because those old voices telling us this is not important, you're wasting your time. Um, you're a space cadet, you're airy-fairy, or whatever the case is, those creep back up. And again, that's a part of the whole egoic voice that's trying to convince us to go for the external validation versus doing what feels aligned with our heart and soul in a in a passionate way. And, and so part of, of becoming spiritually mature is giving yourself permission to tap back in. To that voice of internal creativity, at the expense of upsetting some people, disappointing some people, um, making you know people feel like you're different from them. And fortunately, and I give my parents credit for this, like they never imposed any sort of path upon me. So fortunately, I had a I came from a family that supported me as long as I wasn't doing anything crazy, you know, but crazy, meaning dangerous.
0: Right. But um, jumping off the, the jump in your BMX. Yeah.
1: Right. <laughs> if I'm not selling drugs or robbing right. people yeah. or anything like that. then they're like, okay, go for it. Cause I understand that not everybody has that, you know, not everybody came from that kind of family who just allowed them to express themselves in whatever way they chose. And, but that's why I also consider it now to be my responsibility to help to empower as many other people to either become that person who supports or to be the person who actually goes out and does the thing that um, that, they, that lights them up inside. And so through my example, I'm wanting to impact and influence and inspire others to do similar things. Like, again, not everybody's into doing an inspirational variety show or living from a backpack or, you know, uh, changing their name or anything like that. But we all have our versions of those things. And, and I want to show you that all it's possible. It's possible to challenge convention, to face the fe- other people's opinions and, and everything, everyone's going to be okay when you decide to do it anyway. And, and here's the, here's the catch 10 years from now, when you've done the thing, those people who were the most vocal are going to tell their friends and everybody they know that they support you. They were the one person to support you. (laughs) Your biggest haters are going to be like, yeah, we supported them the whole way through. <laughs> so true. if it wasn't for That's my support, they wouldn't support. have been able to it wouldn't do have it.
0: happened <laughs> <know>. <laughs> well, I think one of the words that you said um so and that was i I love the way you just told that story, but I think one of the words that really stuck out for me, which is something I'm learning only in my sixties, I just turned sixty two I think I maybe learned this two years ago is the concept of alignment. And, um, I think my walking practice is what taught me that. And it, it, um, and I think when we are in alignment with that internal, uh, truth and voice and understanding and knowing, I actually think, um, All sorts of really magical things can happen, or I recognize them now because I know what's Mm -hmm. more true for myself. It's only because I, you know, for me, I started walking because I realized one morning that part of who I am is being outdoors. I need to be outdoors. The way I brush my teeth, it's a non-negotiable. So it wasn't about number of steps. It wasn't about physical sort of exercise. It was literally about being out in the natural world. And the more I do that, the more I'm in alignment with actually what it matters to me at a really profound level. And as a result of being in alignment, I feel as if see the world more clearly. And I think that is perhaps the one of the many benefits of a practice, a daily practice or a consistent practice. Maybe it doesn't even have to be daily. I would also say the thing about um, whether it's a seated practice or a walking is that it's very... Um, democratic, small d democratic. It is available to us. As you beautifully said, you know, if you're traveling, you get to the airport early. I did this a week ago. I was traveling to the West Coast. I got to the airport half an hour early and just did laps up and down the hallway (laughs) and just wandered and looked at everybody as they came and went. Um, But I do think the thing that you touched on, I'd love to hear you say a little bit more about it, is um, the opportunity to do something you love and to do it on a very regular basis again I don't know that it has to be every day I'd love to hear your thoughts on that but that's to me where the alignment and the wisdom and um, and and for me the quiet comes to hear all that
1: yeah I think ultimately you have to do it for yourself because a lot of times when we start off we're doing it we really secretly doing it to get recognized Mm. for it or for other people to say, Oh wow, that's really interesting or, you know, or special. And at the end of the day, you want these things to be, be very unremarkable for you. Cause that's, that's when you know, it's really become a part of your routine that it's just unremarkable. The same way that showering, like no one, no one comes out of the shower and starts telling all their friends and posting on social media, guys, I showered today. It was amazing. (laughs) I took an amazing shower today because nobody cares.
0: (laughs) Unless it was cold. right?
1: (laughs) right. Yeah, Nobody cares. And, uh, but just because no one cares, doesn't mean you're going to stop showering because you know, that, that, it affects you in a positive way in everyone that you come across that day, and so I think what we underappreciate is that we have a we have an energetic hygiene. A lot of people are neglecting mm. their energetic mm. hygiene because they're tired, they don't think they have enough time, they treat it as a hobby or an extracurricular activity, and yet it has an it, it has an effect on everything every relationship that they have in their life for instance i have a friend who's very sort of you know she, she's she's a very generous spirit she always leads with generosity mm-hmm. and she does branding and she collaborated recently with a designer very talented designer uh, to do some work for one of my friends clients and um, and the designer is in a different country, so they had to set up this interesting payment system. And anyway, the designer didn't hasn't received the payment yet, even though my friend who's got the branding company sent her receipt that the payment is on its way. It's just taking a little longer because this is the first time it's been set up, et cetera, et cetera. But the designer's withholding the assets, right? Because she's been burned before in the past and she doesn't want to get burned again, even though she's she's had a great experience with my friend and her branding agency. And now my friend is, is is looking for other designers because she doesn't like that feeling of the person coming from scarcity. And what's interesting about this is that you could easily justify that, okay, you've been burned in the past, so then don't do the thing in the future that caused you to be burned in the in the past. Don't be generous again. And through adopting that way of being, she's actually creating more scarcity. So the the scarcity that's driving her to not be generous is creating more scarcity. My friend is going to stop doing business with her, right? And that's what we don't realize is that that's a reflection of our energetic hygiene, that energetic hygiene is what causes you to, to respond in a scarce way as opposed to abundant way. And when you do that enough times and with the wrong people in situations, you may end up taking away from yourself or sabotaging yourself thinking that, oh, it's the other person's fault. But no, it's actually you. And when we can see that, which is what doing our inner practices allows us to do, is to be able to see the patterns, it may take us a few years or a few months to see the patterns. It may take us another couple of years to work through it, and then another couple of years to really start to act in alignment with with our authentic self, our true nature, which is that sort of childlike innocence that gives us the ability to dream and imagine and give and share and you know all the things that we used to do when we were younger but also with the maturity of and the wisdom of having made contact with so many people in the world and that's where you really get a beautiful symmetry or or alchemy of of experiences because you don't have to try To create abundance, you just be abundant. You just be be creative. You just be imaginative. And you'll find that you become the person that people want to collaborate with. Because the most imaginative, creative, generous people guess who they want to do business with? Guess who they want to be in relationships with? Other people who are creative, imaginative, and generous. And so you end up, that's what the law of attraction truly is. And that's what you're investing in every time you you take your energetic shower in the morning by going for your walk or by sitting in your meditation and by stopping and smelling the metaphorical flowers.
0: Oh, that's exactly right. And um, I will say you are that way. That's why we connected over a cup of chai all those years ago. <laughs> Very nice. Okay. So one last question, then we'll let you go. And Light, again, thank you so much for talking about walking and uh, your path so what are you walking through right now what is on your path I'm in um,
1: I'm incubating right now what the next
0: that's fun what the
1: next direction is going to be I've done the travel light thing and I'm mm. now really curious about relationships and I want to write mm. more about relationships and I'm not just talking about love relationships. I believe that we are in relationship to everything. We're in relationship to our mind, our body, our spirit, uh, the people around us, our wherever we are located. We're in relationship with all of that. And there are laws of nature or principles that yeah. govern the cause and effect of
0: mm-hmm.
1: how we relate to all of those things. And I want to break that down and simplify it and just understand it more so so that's kind of what I'm I'm guided to explore these days. And then hopefully, maybe it'll culminate in a book that I can share with other people and help to uh, facilitate better, stronger, more aligned relationships with other people.
0: Well, that sounds beautiful. I, what I've been really interested in, even in the last six months, is quite a few articles and i've heard a lot of people talking about um how um friendships how we really don't value friendships mm. in a in a really deep and beautiful and intimate intimate way mm. and I've, i it's a, a really nice thing to sort of broaden my understanding of how we how we view friendships as being as intimate as potentially a primary person in our lives so i uh, I'm glad you're doing that.
1: Thank you. It's (laughs) lovely.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us. I hope you have a beautiful stay where you are and perhaps I'll see you. See you over a cup of chai (laughs) at West sometime soon.
1: (laughs) Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it being on here.
0: Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) This morning walk is a production of blind Nil audio produced and edited by Chris Jacobs. If you find value and meaning in the conversations that Libby and I have, please share the show with a friend and consider leaving a five-star review. Comments on Apple Podcasts really help us out. When you do that, it introduces this show to a bigger audience. Thank you so much for listening. You are wonderful. Have a great walk.
1: Views, information, or opinions expressed in this series are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Chip and Joanna Gaines, Blind Nail Audio, nor Magnolia.